Psalm 22, a psalm written by David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night and am not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted you and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet, You brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all the bones on my body. My my people stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword and my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the evil and wild oxen. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised nor disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you will I fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. 
They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. There are some songs that get so linked to an event that you can't hear the song without thinking of that event. There are some songs where you only need to hear the music start and already it calls to mind a particular event or there's an association that goes with it. It's impossible to hear one without thinking of the other. Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, In 1939, Vera Lynn recorded the song, We'll Meet Again. And this song became the anthem of hope during World War II. It was the song that, that captured the hearts of the Allied forces as the whole world moved towards war. When you hear her sing, we'll meet again, don't know where, don't know when, but I know we'll meet again some sunny day. I mean, your mind automatically turns to seeing people in uniform, doesn't it? I mean, that song is so closely associated with the Second World War that you can't hear one without thinking of the other. Probably another example of this in more recent times was Elton John's song, Candle in the Wind. Now, you may remember that that song was about Marilyn Monroe, but Elton John tweaked the words and then sang the song again at Princess Diana's funeral. You can't hear the song without thinking of the event. There's that song that has become so closely associated with that funeral that you can't hear one without thinking of the other. Well, this morning we're looking at another song that's become so connected to an event that you can't hear one without thinking of the other. You might have even had that experience as you heard the Bible passage read this morning, that very opening line in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those are the very words that Jesus spoke as he hung on the cross. They were written a thousand years before Jesus died on the cross, but here are these words that have bound this psalm to that event, but it's not just those opening words, as we'll see. But you can't hear this psalm without thinking about that crucifixion. Now, we don't know too much about the background of Psalm 22. Um, If you look at the small writing just up above where the psalm starts, you'll see that it says in there that it is a psalm of David. Um, They're not exactly sure what that means. Possibly a psalm that was written by David. Possibly just one of the psalms that David had put into his collection of favourite psalms. So it became known as one of the psalms of David. It could have been written by King David. We're not sure what circumstances it would have been written in, what events would have actually led David to write a psalm like this. We don't know of anything from his own life experience that would have led to it. But we're going to assume that it was King David who in fact wrote this psalm. And the psalm starts with David expressing absolute despair at the situation that he's in. Have you got your Bible there? Look at those first two verses. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry out to you day and night, but you do not answer. By night and am not silent. It's utter despair. 
utter hopelessness, isn't it? He's feeling totally abandoned by God. He hasn't lost his faith. In fact, it's his faith in God that's got him asking all of these questions. It's not that he has, he's reached the point of not believing in God. If he'd reached that point, we would have no song. It's because of his faith that he's asking these things. But there's an unusual thing that happens in this psalm. Uh, David's thinking seems to swing from one side to the other. It starts out with this absolute despair, but the very next verses are verses of hope and confidence. But then the pendulum swings back again to despair. So see what he says in verse 3? Yet you're enthroned as the Holy One. You're the praise of Israel. In in you, our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. It's as though he's trying to remind himself that God's been faithful in the past. He's God for goodness sake. He's the Holy One enthroned. He's the praise of Israel. Of course he hasn't abandoned me. That's what he's trying to say to himself, isn't it? I suppose we know exactly what he's doing, don't we? Because you and I probably do a similar thing from time to time. You get yourself into a, into a difficult situation, a tough circumstance, and you dwell on how bad things are, but then you try and pull yourself together. You say, yeah, come on, we can get through this. We've got people who are going to be able to help us here. Don't be so ridiculous. This, these are the thoughts that go through your head, aren't they? You know what it's like to swing from one side of the of the pendulum to the other. And that's what David seems to be doing here. He tries to reassure himself. But in verse 6, the pendulum swings back. And boy, does it swing back. The hopelessness, the self-loathing, the doubt, they all come flooding back in right there. Do you see what he says, verse 6? But I'm a worm, not a man. Scorned by men and despised by people. All who see me mock me, they hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Verse 9, the pendulum swings back again. There's another note of hope. But then verse 12, it swings back one more time for probably the darkest point of the psalm. He's feeling totally surrounded by his enemies. He describes them as animals, bulls, lions, dogs, and they're all moving in for the kill. David says that he feels like this time he's going down for the count. I mean, listen to the hopelessness. Verse 12. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions, tearing their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water and my bones are are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax, it's melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. 
But then when you get to verse 22, King David comes up one more time for air. And this time he's not going down again. From here on, from verse 22 to the end of the psalm, it's only hope. The psalm goes from being one of darkness and inward battle to keep trusting God through tough times to being this psalm of complete confidence of the victory that God will bring about. He's now declaring God's name, singing God's praises and calling other people to join him as well. He knows that God has not forgotten him. And not only will he sing God's praises, he's recommitting himself to be faithful in his relationship with God. He's promising that he's going to fulfill his vows. He begins with a call to all Israel to praise God. Did you see it there in verse 27? After he's called for Israel to praise God, he's actually calling for the rest of the world to start praising God. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. It's now the whole world, not just Israel, that's in view. So David's picturing a day when all the nations will bow down before God. He's picturing a day when people all over the earth will turn to the Lord. In each of the four Gospels, we have an account of the crucifixion of Jesus. In Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, each of them give us an account of what happened. Some people have described Psalm 22 as the fifth account of the crucifixion of Jesus. I mean, it's incredible the way that it seems to describe so accurately the things that happened to Jesus. And it's written the best part of a thousand years before Jesus dies on the cross. I mean, have a quick look through the things that it says there. Verse 1, you have the quote from Jesus, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 8, we hear about the people who are mocking King David, but they're saying almost exactly the same things that people said to Jesus as he hung on the cross. Verse 16, you've pierced my hands and my feet. Verse 18, they're casting lots for my clothing. And I'm reliably told by commentary writers that the very end words down at the bottom of the psalm there probably equally could be translated, it is finished. That they're the words that Jesus spoke as he hung on the cross. Matthew and Mark both include Jesus quoting that psalm. Uh, This is what it says in Matthew's gospel, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, and it actually quotes the Hebrew, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? John tells us that they were casting lots for Jesus' clothes. Uh, There was a a seamless piece and and they decided not to, to tear it, but to in fact just cast lots to see who would get it. But John says, this happened that the scriptures might be fulfilled, which said they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. 
The writer of Hebrews is trying to make the point that Jesus is flesh and blood just like us so he can understand the things that we go through. And this is what he says in Hebrews chapter 2. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are being made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers. He says... I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. Quoting from Psalm 22. So the writer of Hebrews is actually putting those words in Jesus' mouth. He's saying, Jesus says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. For the writers of the New Testament, there's no doubt that Psalm 22 is pointing to Jesus. But why does Jesus quote it? Why does he give us that opening line from the psalm while he's hanging there on the cross? I mean, of all of the psalms that Jesus could quote while he's hanging there, why this one? I mean, he could have gone for the next psalm, couldn't he? He couldn't have gone for Psalm 23. He could have said, the Lord is my shepherd. I mean, that would have been a great opportunity to to express that he still trusts God in this circumstance. Or why not jump ahead to Psalm 46 and say, God is my strength and refuge and ever-present help in trouble. But he doesn't quote those Psalms. He quotes this one, Psalm 22. So why quote this Psalm? Well, I think there's two reasons. The first, and probably the most obvious answer, is that this psalm captures the despair that Jesus is clearly feeling as he faced the cross. I think sometimes we can fail to see just how terrifying it must have been for Jesus to go to the cross. What Jesus did in his death on the cross was an extraordinary thing. He died a most horrific death in order to pay the penalty for our sin. He quotes those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in a very real sense, that's what's happening to Jesus when he's dying on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Jesus endured God's wrath for our sake. Now I have to confess, I don't understand exactly how this works. I don't understand how one member of the Trinity can abandon another. How God's judgment, which is what I deserve, can be taken by God himself in Jesus. But that's what the Bible says is happening. That's what's happening on the cross. That's what Jesus endured. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds, we are healed. Jesus died for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. I mean, in some ways, it's no surprise that he's going to quote Psalm 22, is it? It sums up the agony and the anguish that he's obviously feeling on that day. But I think there's more to it than that. I think the other reason Jesus quotes this psalm 
is because of the hope that is expressed in the psalm. When Jesus quoted those opening words from the psalm, he didn't just want us to think about those opening words. I'm sure he wants us to think about the whole psalm. Yes, there is darkness and despair, but there's also the most incredible hope expressed in this psalm. The hope of God bringing about the ultimate victory. The hope of people from all nations coming to God and bowing down before him. This psalm may open with despair, but it closes with the most extraordinary hope. And the crucifixion of Jesus is not the end of the story either. There's a resurrection that follows. And the certainty of forgiveness and eternal life for anyone who is willing to say, my trust is in Jesus. I'm not trusting myself. I'm not trusting my good deeds. I'm trusting what he has done for me in his death on the cross. Jesus knew what was happening on the cross. He knew that he was going to have to face that terrifying hour of darkness. But he knew that the light would shine again. He knew that he would be raised from the dead. It's amazing to me that this psalm could have been written nearly a thousand years before the crucifixion took place. It's amazing that it could describe in such detail what happened. But did you know you and I are mentioned in this psalm as well? Go right to the very end, those closing two verses, 30 and 31. That's where we feature. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn For he has done it. So where are the future generations that have been told about Jesus? Where are the nations who've come to bow down before God? A new year is now underway. In fact, we're pretty much a month into the year. It's pretty frightening, isn't it? But here's a psalm that talks about what we're here for as God's people. As people who trust in Jesus, we know that we have the privilege not only of believing in him, but of telling others about what the Lord has done. The privilege of taking this message to this generation. We have the privilege of telling others about the hope and the forgiveness and the life that are found in Jesus.